Welcome to the Outthinker Podcast. Each week, we talk with forward-looking strategists and innovators that are challenging the status quo, leading the future of business, and shaping our world. I'm your host, Kyan Krippendorf, founder of the Outthinker Strategy Network. Salim Ismail is the lead author of the best-selling business book, Exponential Organizations, a renowned technology strategist and serial entrepreneur with ties to Yahoo, Google, and Singularity University. He consults with governments and the world's top Fortune 500 companies on innovation and growth. His work has been featured in premier media outlets like The New York Times, Bloomberg Businessweek, Fortune, Forbes, Wired, Vogue, and the BBC. Salim founded EXO Works in 2016 to help transform global organizations by catapulting organizations into the world of exponential thinking. He travels extensively, sharing a global perspective on the impact of breakthrough technologies and how organizations can leverage these disruptions to grow 10 times faster than their peers. He's the co-founder and chairman of OpenEXO and an active board member of the XPRIZE Foundation. I got to sit down with Salim. I haven't spoken to him in three or four years, and we got an update on his thinking. He shares why a new breed of organization is emerging and what that organization looks like, what exponential technologies are, which of those we should be tracking now, and how they will impact your organization's future. Three practical steps you can take to fight corporate antibodies and get your leadership to take innovation seriously. Ladies and gentlemen, Salim Ismail. Salim, thank you so much for being here with us. It's great to have you here. Great to be here. Awesome. So I asked this question of everyone that's on this podcast. Could you complete the sentence for me? If you really know me, you know that. If you really know me, you know that I've lived in eight different countries for more than a year each. So I'm pretty confused. Wow. Wow. What is one country that we might not expect you to have lived in? France. Cool. Great. So I also asked this question of everyone, and I always get a different answer. What's your definition of strategy? I go down the Simon Sinek kind of approach of saying, why do you exist? What fundamental problem, which sparks to what we call the massive transformative purpose? Strategy for me is then if you're trying to go after, say, curing cancer, the how are you going about it is the strategy. What route are you taking up that mountain is the strategy. That's how I frame it. I love that. That's a very impactful metaphor of the mountain and the route up to the top of the mountain. Gives you flexibility. Yeah, because I think of like, if you'd go to something like religion, God sits at the top and every religion is a different path up the mountain. And if you're on one path, it's really hard to say to somebody, hey, turn left at the bush and jump over this stream because they're on a different path. And so this leads to a lot of confusion. That metaphor kind of cleans it all up. The key question being in general, are you going up? Great. Yeah. So just tell us a little bit about your journey, how you got here, what EXO is, and how you got onto the topic that you are really advocating for and raising awareness for. Yeah. So I have a computing background, grew up in Canada. Then I spent 10 years in Europe restructuring large European companies, which is why I'm bold. (laughs) I ended up building a couple of tech companies and ended up as the head of innovation at Yahoo, which is kind of like the foundational moment because I came across a problem which we now generalized, which is when you try anything disruptive in a big company, the immune system attacks you. We find that every big company in the world has difficulty with disruptive innovation because of exactly that issue. They're all geared for efficiency and predictability, and you come in from the side, it doesn't matter how nice you are, you're going to get speared. That tension of how to juxtapose with that is what's driven a lot of my thinking. I went from Yahoo to helping build a Singularity University, which is cutting-edge thought leaders in very fast-moving technologies. Built that for about seven years and noticed that we now have 20 Gutenberg moments hitting us at the same time. 
explain that to me? What do you mean Gutenberg? In the 15th century, the printing press fundamentally changed the world. And we now call that a Gutenberg moment because it created a total transformation in society. Solar energy, blockchain, AI completely changed the world. And I think when we cataloged it, we came up to 20 autonomous cars, drones, CRISPR. Each one fundamentally changed the world. We've never seen this much innovation hit us at the same time globally ever. And so that means every piece of how you thought about the world before is gone. It's a red pill, blue pill type of moment. The way you think about it in the large organization now has to change completely. And it stems from a comment made by David Rose, who's one of the godfathers of angel investing. He said, any company designed for success in the 20th century is doomed to failure in the 21st century. From New York, he's a bit dramatic, but I think the core of it is absolutely dead on. We find every large company in the world struggles with absorbing disruptive innovation. When I came out of Singularity, we wrote a book called Exponential Organizations, basically saying, how do you organize for this new world? And we noticed that there was a completely new breed of organization emerging that we'd never seen before. The Ubers, the Airbnbs, Waze, where they'd learned how to scale org structure as fast as you scale technology. We've learned how to scale technology very well. We can go from one user to a million. But as many of your listeners will remember and know, building the actual organization is painfully incremental, linear, sublinear as you get bigger. And yet we're seeing this new breed, TED, growing to a global level just by leveraging community. How do you do that? After the book came out, we focused on solving this immune system problem because I figured if you can't solve that problem in any big company, they won't survive for that long. And it's worse in the public sector because now you have to transform policy and regulatory. We have bankers fighting Bitcoin. We have taxis fighting Uber. So we set about solving that problem. And that's the journey that we've been on. We now have a community of consultants around the world that apply these tools. And that community is now 17,000 or so consultants in 130 countries. Fascinating. So I have so many questions, but just a foundation question first for those of our listeners, of which there won't be many, who are not familiar with the term exponential technology. Can you describe that for us? Yeah, exponential technology is basically taking Moore's law, doubling pattern in price performance and computation. And we're seeing that apply now in a dozen technologies. Drones are doubling every nine months in their price performance. The speed at which we can sequence the human genome is doubling every six months. The speed at which we can image the brain using in neuroscience is doubling every year. 3D printing, doubling very regularly. The granddaddy is solar energy, which is doubling every 22 months, roughly every two years. We double the price performance of solar panels. This has been happening steadily for 40 years. If you run the numbers, we will be able to deliver all of our energy needs globally with solar in eight years. We are four doublings away. That completely changes the game because energy, which has been scarce for the entire history of humanity, is about to become abundant. And most of our businesses focus on scarcity. For the last 10,000 years, if you didn't have a scarcity, you didn't have a business. What exponential organizations, a good way of thinking about them, is their business models around abundance. Yeah, because the resource-based view of strategy you know, holds that you want to own the diamond mines, own the oil, you're controlling the limited resource. Yeah. That's right. So what's one of the flips, the mental flips or planning flips? that A great example is the music industry. We used to sell music as a product, the cassette, the DVD, the CD, and you sold the physical product. You sold the scarcity of the physicality of it and $20 an album type of thing. Then you digitize music, you information enable it. All the seven or eight major music studios essentially disappear. And now we have iTunes or Spotify selling abundance on a subscription model, $10 a month, all you can eat. And that transition, Chris Andrews, Anderson and Kevin Kelly have done an amazing job of highlighting some of the business models around abundance. Kevin Kelly wrote a 
blog post called Better Than Free. And I urge all of your listeners to go check out that blog post. He basically says, if we're turning the world into information and the base information is widely available, there's about eight ways of adding value to that base information. The stock market gives you immediacy. You pay for the time closest to the trade. Google gives you personalization. Uber gives you accessibility, findability, authentication, etc. There's about eight ways of adding value to it, which I think are the business models for the 21st century. And so those are now business models. You then need a massive purpose which is what we found consistent across all exponential organizations like Google organized the world's information, Uber should have a private driver, etc. And then the strategy becomes how do you fulfill that massive problem, massive purpose that you've taken on? And the thing about strategy is we used to have a tried and true way of having a five-year strategic plan, etc., etc. I have a whole section in the book called Death to the Five-Year Plan. Today, the world is changing so fast. By the time you formulated your five-year plan, is out of date. And so the concept of strategy is giving away to running multiple experiments, small experiments to test the market. And whichever works, you go down that rabbit hole. Got it. So using your mountain analogy, you're taking multiple paths and then finding out which one is the right path and you're taking another set. Yeah, you send five explorers on five little paths and they report back very quickly and go, that one looks good. Okay, everybody go down that path. And then from there, you do it again. It's very much a fractal approach to strategy. And the world's biggest organizations are using this. So we came up with this model by analyzing the 200 fastest growing unicorns and then published the book on that. Five externalities like Uber, doesn't hire its own staff. Ted uses community. Airbnb is leveraging other people's assets, gamification techniques, etc. on the outside. And then five internal mechanisms like lean startup thinking, decentralized org structures, dashboards and OKRs, interfaces to all that abundance, etc. And we found that more of them you use, the more scalable your organization is. There's a really important data point that we came across. When we published the book seven, eight years ago, I did a segment on CNBC Squawk Box. We actually ranked the Fortune 100 by this model. I published an index on how scalable, how much is IBM using lean startup thinking? To what extent is GE purpose-driven? To what extent is Procter & Gamble leveraging community or not? And we created an index, scored them, quantified score out of 100. We just did a seven-year trailing analysis and said, all right, how do they do our top 10 in our index? And the top 10 most flexible, adaptable companies on our model compared to the bottom 10 of the Fortune 100, revenue growth is 3x, profitability is six and a half times higher, return on equity is 11 times higher between the top and the bottom. But shareholder returns of the top 10 in our index compared to the bottom 10 is 40 times higher over seven years. That's just in the Fortune 100 right? Like you can't make this stuff up. And the broad thesis is pretty simple. As the external world becomes more volatile, your ability to adapt is going to drive market value. It's that simple. And big companies are not adaptable. So we've created a tool set for helping big companies hack themselves. And we found a way of transforming culture at scale in big companies. So can you give us an outline of that or a few examples of the tool? Yeah. What we do is we go into a say, we piloted this with Procter & Gamble and said, let's run a 10-week engagement. And the metric is we want to see if we can move leadership, culture, management thinking three years ahead in that 10 weeks. And it worked. We did it a second time with the largest insurance company in Mexico, which was family-owned, regulated insurance. Worked even better. And so we formed a practice. We've done it 60 times now. Black & Decker, HP, TD Ameritrade, Visa, you name it. And what we do is we do an opening workshop with the existing management to give them a sense of the future 
and show them how dramatically the world is changing. Then we take 25 young leaders of the business. They form four teams. Two teams are sitting at the edge saying, how would I blow this open 10x? And the second two teams look at the internal organization and say, how do I accelerate the metabolism of the mothership? And they come back after 10 weeks, we coach them and they suggest ideas and senior management, if they like the ideas, funds them. And we found that when those leaders go back to their day jobs, they infect everybody else with this thinking. And that creates a cultural change across the company. Our clients are reporting an average 70 times return on investment from running this process. Wow. Wow. One thing that I hear repeatedly from strategists, and I've experienced myself, there was a large defense contractor that we were doing stuff with, right? And we trained 60 people, 600 people in this kind of disruptive thinking techniques. And they came up with these internal, mostly internal ideas, 55 ideas. And you know what those ideas are doing right now? They're sitting on a platform and I cannot figure out who in the company will freaking look at them. How do you do that? Because our strategists often get frustrated because leadership will say, yes, I want the disruptive idea. But then they're I'll give you a little story that summarizes it for me. I joined Yahoo to head up innovation, running their incubator, and I extract five promises from Jerry Yang and senior management. Number one, I want to be able to go off-site. I want to be off-brand. I want to be free of the technology stack. I want to be free of legal and HR rules on who I can hire, etc. And the fifth one was, if somebody had a great idea, I want to give them equity in the idea, because especially in Silicon Valley, they could just go to a startup. So we do these five things. I have an off-site office, thank goodness. I've got sitting with 20 of the best developers in the world. We're thinking about it's empty. Where would we put the server racks? Where will we put our desks and ping pong tables? The doorbell rings. There's a truck outside. And he goes, I'm here to deliver the furniture. And we're like, we didn't order any furniture. And he goes, oh, I'm from facilities. And we open up at the back of the truck and it's full of cubicles and yellow and purple couches. And it's Dilbert Hell. <laughs> if that comes in, we're leaving because we joined to be separate from the mothership. And this puts us right back where we started. So I say to the guy, listen, we don't want it. He goes, what are you talking about? My KPI is to furnish the office within 48 hours of it opening. So I'm freaking coming in. I'm like, hold on. This, you know, Everybody on this call can understand this kind of issue, right? So I call his boss, his boss's boss. I call my boss, my boss's boss. And I spend the afternoon on the phone and I finally am able to get rid of the guy. Okay, phew, because close call. He wants a tick box saying his bonus doesn't get dinged, etc. Two weeks later, doorbell rings, same guy, same truck, same furniture. And I'm like, you know, I thought we dealt with this. He goes, we did, because my manager changed. Notice you didn't have the tick box. I'm ordered to deliver the furniture to you because we have nowhere to put it in our back office warehousing. It was ordered by the ERP systems. And I'm like, oh my God. And you know, we can all relate to this, right? And the keys, he's not being a bad guy. He's just following the machinery and the KPIs, the processes set up for that company to be hyper-efficient doing what it was doing. It's like a Roman army marching in a phalanx formation, shields and spears. You come in from the side, it doesn't matter how nice you are, you're going to get speared. You throw a great idea into the middle of that army, and they're just going to trample it. They don't know what to do except marching along the same drumbeat. So you have to disrupt army. You have to disrupt the machine. Yeah, so what we do is we go to the CEO and we go, we can take your company 10x bigger, faster, cheaper. And we have a path to doing that. And the key is you want to hack culture at scale. Let me give you a little thought experiment. Marriott Hotels is worth $53 billion today. If Marriott had launched TripAdvisor, Booking.com, Airbnb, their market cap would be $250 billion. 5x bigger. And the irony, and the reason we use this example, is all of those ideas were sitting inside Marriott, but the immune system would not let them get activated because they didn't want to cannibalize the existing business. So for fear of hurting the existing business, they're leaving 5x market cap on the table. 
That's the impedance mismatch. That's the discrepancy that's being left. That's how much innovation is going untapped in big companies around the world. And you have to hack culture at scale to activate that because inside the people have amazing ideas. They're talking to customers every day. They just can't activate them. And we found a way of activating them. So the key is you have to do three things. You have to train people in this new methodology very cheaply across the boards of the vocabulary. You have to run a sprint to break the immune system problem. And then you take your crazy change agents to the edge and you build the crazy ideas at the edge of the company pointing into adjacent spaces. And the combination of those three gives you full activation of new ideas. And then if something starts to succeed at the edge, the second order of maturity is do not bring it back into the mothership. If it's really disruptive, fit neatly. Got it, got it. I guess yeah, as it evolves on the edge, you can get a sense of what the business model will look like and whether it will be disruptive internally or fit. Exactly. You spin it off rather than trying to bring it back in. You know, the challenge is that there's no MBA program in the world that can teach you this. Every MBA program in the world teaches you how to build a 20th century organization. There's still no MBA program in the world that can teach you how to build Uber. It's the biggest disruption in business that we've ever seen in the history of mankind, literally, because all our models are scarcity-based and we're moving to a totally new model. It's like if if you're going to program on the blockchain, there's some bylaw that says you have to be under 20 years old. <laughs> like there's, if you're over 30, forget it. You can't get your head around the paradigm that is the blockchain, right? It's like a bylaw written somewhere. It's the same basic paradigm. You ask any banker about Bitcoin and they get hives. They just can't cope. It's the same issue writ large to a global business issue. The good news is we found a prescriptive path of bridging that and we're now activating on that. This is maybe one smaller piece of the puzzle, but something I'm increasingly hearing strategists kind of start articulating which is around branding this new organization, because you can't have a brand that is only for customers. You have to have a brand that's also for these young employees and also partners, right? And so I'm thinking kind of the Virgin brand, there's a consumer brand, but it also seems like a cool place to go and bring good ideas, right? So talk to me about that. You're absolutely right. I'll give you a little case study on our side. Paul Pullman, who was the CEO of Unilever, read my book when it came out, and he asked me to come and speak to the top 200 execs at Unilever. And then he ordered every brand in Unilever to take on what we call a massive transformative purpose or an MTP. Have your brand be purpose-driven and come up with a purpose statement that's delivering massive transformation to that brand arena mandated it from the top. Four years later, the five most profitable brands are the ones that adopted it the most. So because the younger generation, as you point out, is much more purpose-driven, and therefore the future consumers are driven that way. Now, of course, once you hire them, you have to figure out how to manage these millennials, which is a whole other topic. But they are very attracted to that purpose-driven nature of the world, unlike our parents, for example, who just try to get a job and survive. And so now the younger generation is much more hewn to that. I have so many questions that I want to ask you. I know we're already using the top of our time, but Around technologies, I've heard you talk about 3D printing, about drones, about solar, but we haven't interacted in a few years, actually, since COVID. And so people are talking a lot about now is kind of blockchain technologies, metaverse. I was wondering if you had any opinions on those technologies. Are there any other techniques? I'm a massive fan of blockchain. And the reason is we're able to decentralize authentication. And that's cool in private sector. Like, for example, retail banks are just a centralized ledger of transactions. It knows you deposited $1,000. It knows I borrowed $1,000, right? If you can decentralize that authentication, you don't need the retail bank. So I give retail banking about five years and it essentially evaporates. That's kind of a big deal. Not so much investment banking and other things, but retail banking for sure is toast over the next few years. The younger generation that I know all keeps their money 
money in MetaMask crypto wallets and manage it themselves, the custodial, et cetera, the hell with a bank. Try and wire money, it takes days. It's a nightmare. And so that's one small example of the disruption coming there. So I think blockchain is massive. I think it's like the internet in the late 90s. It's very early. We can kind of see this big thing, but we know there's something big coming. We can't see it clearly yet. All of these technologies are accelerating very dramatically. And most importantly, they're intersecting. So if you have a technology that's growing exponentially and it intersects with another technology, that adds a whole other multiplier to the effect. And so that's the crazy product development path that we're seeing where new products are coming out that are blowing your mind at crazy levels incredibly fast. Yeah, and I can see it's really hard for you to multiply the impact of two technologies in your mind. You can think of each one separately. When you combine them together, that's like trying to see around a corner. Exactly. And think of a big company. If you're doing product development in a big company, if you're developing products based on today's technologies, you're out of by the time you get to market. A startup kind of goes, I think blockchain will be there and I'm going to aim my product development to aim for where the blockchain will be. Therefore, they can strip past most big companies. Jack Welch, in the year 2000 annual report for GE, made a profound quote. He said, the minute the metabolism of your company is slower than the outside world, you're dead. The only question is when. You could argue today that the metabolism of almost every big company in the world is slower than the outside world. Therefore, most large companies are going to be in deep trouble because all of the coast law transaction costs and theoretical benefits disappear in this new world. Fascinating. Yeah, I know we just scratched the surface and we've reached the top of our time with you. Where can people find you, follow you, you know, people who listen and think, I need to bring this into my company? So our website is openexo.com. It's free to join. It's a global community of 17,000 consultants and we offer tools, training. People get certified in our practices. We run sprints for big companies around the world and we make our services available for those who need it. But we're kind of like the Red Hat model. You can grab it and run with it if you want. If you want our help, call us and we'll help you out. That's great. Well, Salim, thank you for the work that you do, for sharing it with us here and for sharing it with everyone on 3EXO. Great to be with you again. Bye. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our producers, Karina Reyes and Zach Ness, our editor and the rest of the team. If you like what you heard, please follow, download and subscribe. I'm your host, Kaihan Krippendorf. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week with another episode of Outthinkers.